Hello, everybody, and welcome to Come Together with the Beatles. I'm your host, Brooke Halpin, and today, the Beatles Come to America series returns. Tom Gauker and I talk about the Abbey Road album, which was released on September 26th, 1969. The Beatles come to America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome to the Beatles Come to America podcast. I am your host, Tom Galker, along with the Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin. Today, we are talking about another epic recording, not like we had one before. It's, it's just called Abbey Road. It's released in the fall of 1969, September 26th. This is the only podcast that we jump around from the track listing, so the songs are discussed out of order. Before we get into the show, we do have some housekeeping notes to go about, and then we get right into the, the podcast. Uh, I have a podcast. It's called Something Came From Baltimore, which is a music interview. It's more jazz, R&B, and blues, and it's not really about Baltimore. We want you to be a part of the Be More music scene, though, by subscribing and the link is in the show notes. The Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin, is all-knowing when it comes to Beatles, and he sweats that Beatle DNA. We all know that. You need to follow him on his Facebook page, Come Together with the Beatles and Brooke Halpin. The link is also in the show notes. We have our own Facebook page just for this limited series. It's called The Beatles Come to America. It's on Facebook. Got to go on there and rank the Beatles' best albums from best to worst, and trust me, uh, it's a little project, so you need a little more time. And as a bonus, out of every episode, The Beatles Come to America, we have a Brooke Halpin original song, so you want to stick around for that one also. We hope you subscribe, participate, and enjoy. And remember, we love The Beatles, so you got to love us in our comments and enjoy our other creative projects. So here we go. It's The Beatles Come to America. It's episode 17. It's Abbey Road. that introduction tom and i i always enjoy being with you looking forward to to talking about abbey road yeah uh, we are extremely excited about abbey road because i think in, in um in, in my lifespan this was one of the first uh beatles um albums that i've had so i was about five when this was introduced to me now you lived it so do you remember around that time period when you uh, Abbey Road came out, and what was the vibe, and what was your initial reaction to it? Oh, absolutely. I remember remember it like it was yesterday. I was a student at the Harvard Conservatory of Music, and I had a rock and roll band at the time called Four O'Clock. And a friend of ours, uh, Betsy, who actually is from Baltimore, believe it or not, Betsy Ramlow is her name. She was a dancer at the conservatory. And she was staying at this really lavish, new, modern home out in Farmington, Connecticut. And she invited us out one evening. And this house had the new, the brand new stereo system with quadraphonics sound and like four speakers hanging from the ceiling and everything. And she put it on Abbey Road. And that's where <laughs> I heard Abbey Road for the first time. You could imagine what it sounded like on that equipment and those speakers at that time. It was it was extraordinary. And, of course, I was blown away by it, as my other bandmates were as well. And, and Betsy enjoyed it, too. It was a very impressionable, very memorable evening. And, of course, the first thing starts off with that incredible McCartney bass line. And Ringo's uh, wonderful drum pattern on the on the toms and the snare. Wow! Yeah, and uh, there's a couple things that I think are really important about this album. One, I think this is a Paul album and a Ringo album. Um, Paul's bass throughout this whole album and his contribution is 
outrageous. It's great. I mean, if uh, Come Together or, um, you know, just on, on just the other songs, you're like, wow, he is really being very creative. Like um, Something. His, yeah. his, his bass line in Something is one of the most amazing bass lines I've ever heard. I, I've never heard Ringo sound as well. And I think when I did the re- started doing the research, they they had an eight track for this album where they had a four yeah. before. So they d- they put two mics on Ringo's kit, and that was where you get this amazing sound. And Ringo is amazing the whole way through. It just sounds so good. Yeah, and however, also Mr. George Harrison plays six string bass on some of the songs on Abbey Road. Yeah, so does. we got to give we got to give George some credit for his bass playing as well. And I'd say that, you know, the, the, the Beatles were coming out of like a little sloppier area. You got the White Album and you got the Yellow Submarine. But it's very um, well polished. When you're coming out of like there, there's a heavy blues period of the 60s and, you know, the White Album was a little sloppy. Everything was kind of li- very loose for them to kind of come into this very structured and very organized. It's completely different, I think, for that time period. Yeah, well, they were, of course, continuing to be innovators. No one had done a medley before, and that it's just that in and of itself was, I think, spectacular. And it's not easy to do a medley when you have eight different songs. You have different tempos, you have different rhythms going on, and you have different key signatures. How do you make them all flow together? That's remarkable when you think about that. 50 years of, of that medley etched in our mind. I was listening to that the album on shuffle, and it really, it was disturbing because I'm like, I need to hear these in order. We're, we're basically, after a 50-year mark, trained to hear that medley, and at the time you hear it, you're like, this is like a, a symphonic masterpiece. But so what's interesting, as you probably know, is that the original plan was to have Her Majesty as part of the medley. And then Paul decided that after hearing it with with Her Majesty in the medley, he said, oh, no, 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 cut it out. And the engineers uh, at Abbey Road were told to never throw anything away that the Beatles recorded. So the engineer just happened to tape it on to the end of the tape. <laughs> so that's how... Her Majesty ended up being the closing bit of music on Abbey Road. It was a mistake. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, someday I'm gonna make a mine. Oh yeah, someday I'm gonna make a mine. Yeah, and what a great way to end the album. You know, the the influences at that time, if I'm not mistaken, Brooke, is that there was a lot of like British musicians who were really excited about the blues scene. Like they were cultivating yes. a blues scene. I and I hear a little of yeah. that. I'm hearing some um, John Mayo. I'm sitting out here in the rain, baby, under that old. some traffic, um, just, you know, slightly. I still feel that there's a heavy Beach Boys influence. And I want you, she's so heavy. To me, it it feels like they've uh, enjoyed what they heard with the doors. I, I feel that this is kind of a Dorsian. It's like the, mm. it's only like one of a kind that that the Beatles have ever done. I mean, it's a it's one of my favorite songs of theirs of all time, but. I feel that you know, with the Doors coming out with uh, two albums before that, that they may have slightly been influenced on that. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. And also speaking of an influence on "I Want She So Heavy," is that the lyrics, of course, are extremely minimalistic. John emphatically just keeps repeating "I want you, I want you so bad, you're driving me mad," and 
three years prior, someone had a song called I Want You, and the lyrics were, I want you, I want you so bad. And we know who that is, don't we? Who? I want you. I want you. I want you so bad. Honey, I want you. Bob Dylan had a hit in in June of 1966 with a song called I Want You. I want you, I want you so so bad. bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So how about that in terms of an influence? And, of course, John was very, very fond of Bob Dylan. The guitar strumming is different. I can't explain it other than the fact that it's simple. It's all over the place. Like there's, there's, there's little lines all through each song. What's your thoughts on the guitar work? On the overall album, yeah. Just, I mean, do you, does it does it pop? Uh, I mean, like to me, the bass line pops. I feel that the Ringo pops, but yeah, you know, I'm looking at the guitar and I'm like, okay, well, they're doing something completely different than they've done before. Well, in terms of guitar playing, you go from something like "Here Comes the Sun," which, by the way, John is not even on that song. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people know that or not. He's not on that song, and George is doing the doing the guitar work. And it's also kind of Indian influenced with the way the rhythms keep changing. Do 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 da do do da do do da 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 do do bum. So there's that kind of a guitar going on, and then you go to back to I want your she so heavy, which is it's like John and. George, they kept recording over and over, multi-tracking that it's a wall of sound. It's a phenomenal sound. Yeah. And again, back then, it was it was an incredible wave of guitars that were coming through. That's just part of the song. The other part of the song is blues. It's 100% blues. And John is playing all those lead riffs. And I want you to see so heavy. It's John playing the lead. I love the whole little jazzy break in the middle of the song, which is, um, to me, is something that, like, no... I mean, obviously, they have some kind of influence with Coltrane, Miles Davis, and this was their little like nod to the cool fusion of, of jazz, I believe right there at that, that middle piece. See, I'm getting a little big into it that, you know, he said it was a cry for love in several parts. And I'm like, Oh, this is kind of like their version of a heavy metal, like love Supreme where it's in three different pieces and um, it's jazzy in the center. Um, oh, you're talking, yeah, you're talking about boom, do, 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 and the bass line, do, 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 do. Yeah, that yeah, bit? yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, I yeah, love yeah. that part. And uh, oh, yeah, yeah. McCartney's bass playing, his just bass playing, and I want you to see so heavy is mind-boggling. Yeah, like, he's 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 doing riffs and he's doing runs, and not to mention Ringo's drumming at the end of the song. It's like he's drumming like he's never he never drummed before.
tone dropping at the end of that tune when the white noise comes in with the Moog synthesizer. Yeah. And in, in addition to the Moog synthesizer, you've got Ringo doing an overdub of an actual wind machine to increase the white noise sound. And then, of course, the, the cliff ending ending, which is what? Nobody in the world at that time would have done an ending like that. Yeah, <laughs> that would be more effective than any kind of fade out they were considering. Oh, oh my God, it's so dramatic. To go from, again, extremes, extreme density and volume of sound to nothing, to silence. Wow, what an extreme. <laughs> I ranked my favorite Beatles songs and put them on Facebook recently. I put I Want You at number 12. And, mm. and I felt that it's just nothing like it. They've never done anything like this. Right. So, That's right. And it's just so cool. Standing back and really looking at a, a piece of art, I think it's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So let's go uh, back to um, let's go to one. We went we, we jumped around a little. But come together. It starts out the album, and you know the what you're talking about the bass line, yeah, and the drum. What is the sh? Sh? Is that just a percussion? No, it's John saying, "Shoot me." I think that's crazy. Of course, it's crazy because he because he got shot. Uh, it's so it's so, it's downright scary. Yeah, that he was doing that and saying that shoot me in '69, and then of course we know what we know what happened 11 years later. It's buried in the mix. See, some people like you, you say, oh, it's some percussion going on. Mm -hmm. People don't know it's John saying shoot me. I always thought for years it was. Shoot, do, 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 like sure do, shoot, oh. do, and I, I always would say that, and and I was doing research on here, and they're like, it says shoot me, it's an amazing piece of work, and um, I looked at the lyrics in the middle, and uh, he bag production, he got walrus gum boot, he got yeah. Ono sideboard, he got he right. one spinal cracker. just junk but god that song's awesome <laughs> yeah well john was a genius when it came to i wouldn't say gibberish necessarily but he had the uh, the ability to take a, a bunch of words that are completely unrelated that and that work together it's it's poetry it's actually it's john lennon's poetry yeah that's great. what the, that's what the lyrics are to come together it, it's weird. I mean, like, Paul um, does a great job with something, just doing the, the background vocal, like, and with Come Together, he just does, like, he's he's spot on. It was John Lennon's, um wrote the song for Timothy Leary campaign, The Stand Against Ronald Reagan, which I think is yes. amazing. Yeah, that was the original idea for the song. That's right, for Timothy Leary's gubernatorial campaign. Right. And I'm glad you like it so much because that happens to be the name of my radio show, Tom. Uh, and that's exactly why I like it. <laughs> <laughs> While we're at it, talk about your radio show. Yeah, the best place to hear my show is at RadioMalibu.net, Saturdays and Sundays at 12 noon Pacific. I see every week you, you come up with more creative ways of how you can slice and dice the Beatles and make it exciting. And I think that's really a creative piece because uh, you've come up with some really innovative ways on how to present the material. That to me is really exciting. I recommend anyone going on Facebook and, and, and uh, getting on his page. He is able to unlock some really cool pictures that I've never seen before along the fact that, you know, each week he's coming up with something new and fresh. And um, I, I think that's an awesome way to listen to the Beatles. 
Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate that. And this weekend actually is going to, well, it might not be this weekend because I don't know when this is going to air. But anyhow, yeah, they should just go to RadioMalibu.net and they'll, they'll hear the thematic themes that are going on. Because there's only so many songs, and I've been playing the same songs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that yeah. that is a work of art in itself. Yeah, yeah. thank that, you. Yeah, that You're putting a lot of thought into it. You could just do something special every single week. Yeah, thanks very much. By the way, getting back to the song, Come Together on Abbey Road, John got, in tr- got into trouble. He got into some legal trouble. Do you know what happened the, with him in the song? This is the Chuck Berry problem, right? But was it the lyrics, or was it the music, or was it both? Was a flight deal with a powerful motor and some hideaway wings. Pushing on the button and you will hear her sing. Now you can't catch me. Baby, you can't catch me. Cause if you get too close, you know I'm gone like a cool breeze. melody to come together is very, very similar to the melody of Chuck Berry's You Can't Catch Me. And John actually lifted some of the words. So Chuck Berry's publisher, Morris Levy, filed a lawsuit against John. And John reached a settlement in 1973. And the deal was that John said, listen, I'll go ahead and record You Can't Catch Me and a couple of your other songs that you own the publishing on, and you'll make a boatload of money on the record. And that record was John's rock and roll album. If it's a Lennon McCartney tune, how did Paul skate out of that? Well, they, McCartney and Lennon, as you probably know, they they had a deal that even like, for instance, on Give Peace a Chance, <laughs> McCartney gets a songwriting credit, which is ridiculous because mm-hmm. he has not, nothing to do with his song. But, it was John who wrote Come Together, and Paul didn't write Come Together, so they just went after John. Wow. I looked at covers. Tina Turner, Soundgarden, Michael Jackson, Elton John, Kate Bush, Aerosmith, and mm-hmm. the Smokin' Mojo Filters. You come on flat top, come Okay, well that's appropriate. That's a good good name of a band for the for the lyrics in the song. <laughs> yeah, well it was it was Paul with um, a guy from Oasis, one of the guys from Oasis. They did a version of it. Oh, okay. How about okay. that for rare? <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> By the way, side one opens with "Come Together" and side one ends with "I Want You She's So Heavy." Initially, John. He wanted all his songs on one side and all of Paul's songs on another side. So he almost he didn't get his wish, but pretty damn close, because side two, of course, is the medley. But he didn't even mention anything about, well, gee, where should we put George's songs? Uh, I mean, the only song that was a single was Something and Come Together. That's correct. I felt that uh, Something should have been an A-side, Come Together should have been an A-side, and Here Comes the Sun should have been an A-side. I don't understand yeah. how this album could just only spawn one song. One single. Yeah. Well, well, Come Together and Something uh, were what is known as a double A-sided single. They were both A-sides. Tom Gowker and I will be right back with more of the Abbey Road album right here on Come Together with the Beatles. Come Together With me and Tom Gowker talking about George Harrison's Something from the Abbey Road album. The next song is Something, and what's your opinion on that? 
Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Now I'd like to turn to something that, uh, and that so happens to be the title. Of this is a great song by George Harrison of the Beatles with a marvelous arrangement by Don Costa. It's one of the best love songs I believe to be written in 50 or 100 years, and it never says, I love you in the song, but it really is one of the finest, if you please. Something in the way she moved Tracks me like no other lover Something in the way that she moves me Well, like Frank Sinatra said, it's the greatest love song ever written. Uh, initially, he said it was written by Lennon and McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> which didn't go boys. over too well with didn't go over too well with Mr. Harrison mm -hmm. uh but then he corrected himself and what's interesting is that at this time on the newly formed Apple record label James Taylor was an art recording artist with Apple and he recorded and released a song on his album called Something in the Way She Moves There's something in the way she moves That looks my way or calls my name That seems to leave this so trouble So George just lifted those lyrics Something in the way she moves <laughs> But it wasn't like... It wasn't like James Taylor's going to go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sue the Beatles. He wasn't about to do that. So George was uh, able to get away with that with any repercussions from Mr. Taylor. I think that the Beatles get a kick out of the fact that this song becomes a, a song that is a part of the whole Americana. I mean, back in the 60s, and the, the fact that like a Frank Sinatra would want to do her song or you know, Ella or Sarah Vine, you know, that's gold. Like yesterday was like that. And I love yeah. her. You know, if they attempted to tackle a Beatles song, I think that's such a, a level of respect. Yeah. That they were like, Oh God, I can't believe Frank Sinatra is doing my song. And he did, he did a great version of it too. It's a real honor. That's what it is. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, that's Mr. Billy Preston on the organ. It's a great, something. Uh, Billy Preston really kills. I, I think it's a great song. It's interesting because John said it's, it's the best song on the album. Oh, yeah. John said that. Yeah. yeah. John Lennon said that. Yeah. 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 And and they were like, it has to be the A-side. And it's such a great nod to um, George Harrison, who oh sure uh, was always you know stifled. And it was great that he finally had you know the A-side. I, I don't think he's, he's had some B-sides, but I don't think he's ever had an A-side. That's right. So it was a big acknowledgement to George from John Lennon. Yes, absolutely. It is funny. John doesn't give out compliments too often, so you got to no. take them when you get them. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Okay, so we're on to number three, and this one, I was doing timelines, because we're at Maxwell Silverhammer, and I'm looking at this, and it's a, you know, it's a it's a song of a psychotic guy who's, um, you know, bludgeoning people, and I'm like, okay, well, didn't they just get burned with Helter Skelter? Like, Helter Skelter was kind of happening before. Maxwell Silverhammer is a very, very British, and very, um, like, satirical but it's also you're in that whole vein you think that they would pull it and say maybe this is inappropriate it, is it appropriate or not as a song it's a lot of fun Joan was quizzical studied physical science in the home late nights all alone with a test tube oh 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 Maxwell Edison majoring in medicine 
of the fun style of the music doesn't quite match the lyrics, actually. It's kind of contrary to one another. And John hated this song so much that he left this recording session and he didn't come back for two weeks. Yeah, wow. <laughs> That's how much he hated this song. <laughs> I noticed on here he's missing on some of these tracks. So... Oh, yeah, he's not on Maxwell, that's for sure. Wouldn't this be like an early Monty Python? Like, wouldn't this be British and 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 satirical and, and kind of goofy? And Yeah, uh, you, I, could, you, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Like, okay, well, you know, I got it. Who did a great version of this was Steve Martin on uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band movie album soundtrack. It worked with him, too. He um, went over the top with it. Well, that would be appropriate, sure. Yeah. Joan was quizzical, studied pathophysical science in the home. Late nights, all alone, has to Maxwell Edison, majoring in medicine, called her on the phone. Can I take you out to the lecture? By the way, that's that's uh, that's George playing the six-string bass on on Maxwell. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome. John wasn't involved in any of the vocals either. No, no, not at all. No. And George said that Maxwell was the the worst recording session ever. Just <laughs> so George, because Paul is such a perfectionist. It's like the song. You know, it took like a week maybe for. Paul to be happy with the recording, and it just drove George bananas. It drove him nuts. You can imagine. It seems like it would be a throw-off, simple song, and if you spend a week on it, and John's not coming in for two weeks, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so number four is "Oh Darling," and before I talk about it, let me ask you: what do you, what do you think about this song? Oh, darling. I think it's one of McCartney's best vocals on a song that he wrote. It's very 50s rock and roll, kind of like a nod to Fats Domino style. When I met you, you told me that you loved me, but put no one above me or me. interesting with O'Darlin and McCartney, again, the perfectionist, he would come in in the morning and, and do the vocals until he was happy with it. It took him about a week before he was satisfied with the lead vocal. And that's John playing the piano. I always thought it would be Paul playing a piano on a song like that, but it's John. And John thought it would have been better if he sang it rather than Paul. I love Oh Darling. The guitar work is superb. Oh, 
the arpeggios are just fabulous on that song. Listening to Paul through the years, and he's able to shred. I mean, I think if you look back on it now, he wouldn't have to overdo the shred. I think he had the skill later. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he really was a perfectionist, but he does it so effortlessly now. You know, it's like, uh, it's like okay, maybe he was learning the skill of how to damage his voice. I don't, I don't know. Well, actually, he did a year earlier. He did Helter Skelter. Talk about screaming and shredding! My mm-hmm. God. <laughs> And he always had the ability to do that because he was inspired and influenced by Little Richard, who was screaming. You know, you can go back to I'm Down as early as as, uh, 65. You tell lies, thinking I can't see. You can't cry because you're laughing at me. I'm down. With old Darlin, he really put pushes the envelope all the way out, as far as I'm concerned. It, Helter Skelter and old Darlin, I think, uh, two songs vocally that he he really really blows it out. Actually, even on even on the ballad on Golden Slumbers, uh, one of the verses, he's he's pushing it as well vocally. The mm-hmm. lyric I'm thinking of is "Smile, smile wakes you when you rise." You know, he's just ripping on that, which is fabulous. Yeah. Golden slumbers. I went back to the Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club Band soundtrack, and Robin Gibb uh, had a top 40 hit of Oh Darling. Um, It was one of the few songs that they got on the top 40 from that soundtrack. Oh, Oh, darling, please believe me. And um, I just wasn't impressed. Uh, it, it seems very pale in comparison, just like the whole movie was not a really good idea or uh, execution. Okay, so we're up to um, the Ringo Starr song, and yeah, we're talking about Octopus's Garden. And what's your thought of that? Well, I think it's it's a fun song, certainly. Uh, I mean, Ringo's actually blowing uh, with a uh, with a straw, blowing bubbles into a, a glass of milk to get the bubbly effect during the middle part of the song, which is lots of fun for sure. Mm-hmm. And Ringo gets all the all the writer's credit, but actually George actually helped him write it, coincidentally. And it was inspired when Ringo quit the band. He quit the band during the White Album Sessions in 68, and he, he went to Sardinia, and he was cruising on Peter Sellers' yacht. And that was the inspiration uh, for Octopus's Garden, because one of the guys on the boat, working working on the boat, he, was, he served uh, Octopus for lunch, and Ringo didn't know much about it. And he said, oh, yeah, they live down at the bottom of the sea. 
And so that was the thing that inspired Ringo to write the song. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. He'd let us in, knows where we've been in his octopus's garden in the shade. I'd ask my friends to come and see. I think it's a very, as I say, it's a fun song. Mm-hmm. It's, prob- it's probably the most fun song uh, on the album, and the band sounds great. Uh, they did a version of it on Anthology, which actually I prefer. Uh, it was really just, they were just really swinging with it almost. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden by the sea. Good, it's a very good Ringo song, and as we know, they always like to give Ringo uh, one song per album, and uh, there you have it with Octopus's Garden. What do you think about that song, Tom? I think that you know they killed with Yellow Submarine like a year before, and this to me is like the sequel. In the town where I was born lived a man who sailed to sea, and he told of his life in the land of submarines so we sailed on to the sun till we found the sea of green and we lived beneath the waves in our yellow submarines we all live in a yellow submarine yeah, I, I'm like, well, the, you have the action figures, you have the, the soundtrack, you have everything. And here is Octopus's Garden that would be, you know, it would be perfect in Yellow Submarine. I mean, yeah, that song Yellow Submarine was on Revolver, and then all of a sudden it got developed into this major cartoon. Yeah. And, you know, this song is, it seems like it's it's this, you know, a perfect companion to it. Mm. looking at it objectively musically it's fantastic to me it's a lot of fun uh it's them having fun and you know i love the when they they're singing background with about the coral that lies beneath the waves i was just going to say the background voice the background voices are superb yeah they are brilliant yeah and john didn't do background on that that was uh he did he did guitar but he didn't do the background vocals you know george and paul and ringo again you know by themselves again yep um i give it a thumbs up i think if i would rank it from one to five as a song on this album, I would give it a five. I think it's fantastic. Okay, Ringo. Ringo's happy with that. Yeah. He's nodding. <laughs> He's giving us the nod. Perfect. Tom Gowker and I will return talking about more songs from the Abbey Road album right here on Come Together with the Beatles. With me and Tom Gowker talking about here comes the sun. We turn the album over and we got... We hit, flip it over. And mm-hmm. we got Here Comes the Sun. Song. No, nothing. No John at all on this amazing song. Yeah. So what's your thought of this song? Everybody loves it because it's so warm. The lyrics are all about the sun coming out after a cold, lonely winter. 
And George wrote it because he wanted to get away from all the the nonsense and the noise that was going on at Apple Records and all the business crap that he didn't want to deal with anymore. So he went to Eric Clapton's garden in the spring of 69, and that's where he wrote it. And musically, it's superb. And again, McCartney's bass playing is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about the Indian rhythms, which are very unusual in a song. And everyone loves Here Comes the Sun. And Harrison's vocals, I think, are maybe some of his best, uh, that along with something. And so George really shines, no pun intended, with this song and, and with something. Those are, I think, two of the strongest songs on Abbey Road and they're George's. We're up to Because. George on the Moog, uh, George Martin on the Baldwin harpsichord. Yep. John saying that, you know, Yoko, he told Yoko to play the Beethoven Moonlight Sonata backwards. Oh, that's wild. No, no. It's Where'd not. that come I mean, from? Well, you know, John just said, hey, Elko, you know, play Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata backwards. And she may have played something, but it's not It's not Moonlight Sonata backwards. Mm. The, the keyboard, the harpsichord part that George Martin plays is not Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata backwards, I assure you. But it does have... Do 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 boom 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 boom. Rhythmically, it's similar, mm -hmm. but that's about it. Pitch-wise, forget it. Pitch-wise, it's not the same at all. But the, one of the most remarkable things, if not the most remarkable things about it, aside from George Martin's brilliant uh, harpsichord playing, is that John, Paul, and George, their harmonies. It's probably the best harmony singing that they ever did and it was triple tracked that's why it's so dense and rich mm. triple tracked so it's it's like there's nine voices three each right three six nine you got three johns you got three georges you got three pauls and it's phenomenal the vocals and because oh yeah yeah definitely Because the wind is high, it blows my mind. Because the wind is high. 
I would say that the Beach Boys would just say, okay, we're done now. We can't. We can't <laughs> but yeah, you're right. The, the vocals are so clean and so amazing and so strong. And it's, it's the, it's, I mean, it's the song. They, they could have just done an acapella, which I think we heard versions of acapella. Yes. It stands among, you know, it's fine. It's fine as is. You know, it's beautiful. The next song is You Never Gave Me Your Money. Well, talk about Paul and the piano ballad. Wow. Uh, sometimes, even to this day, I will hear this song, and I just get really emotional when I hear it. Mm, me too. You know, it, al- it almost brings me to tears, this song. The piano and the way McCartney delivers his vocals. And again, going back to the quibbling and quabbling that was going on amongst the Beatles, Alan Klein had entered the picture. He was coming in to try to take over. John wanted Alan to manage the Beatles, and he convinced Ringo and George to do that. And Meanwhile, McCartney wanted his in-laws, the Eastmans, to do that. So, so you never give me your money is really Paul's writing lyrics about the false promises that Alan Klein made. Uh, just phenomenal. And Paul brought in some tape loops at the end of the song for the sound effects. And it's, I think, one of the most beautiful pieces on Abbey Road. So it's interesting where side one is really mostly rock and roll songs, Tom. Side two has the ballads. You know, of course, side one has something with the exception of something. But side two, you know, you've got, of course, because we just talked about that. And then you've got You Never Give Me Your Money, another beautiful ballad. And then, of course, that segues into another beautiful ballad as well. it's one of the best Paul McCartney songs of all time. Like this is the, this is the blueprint of what Paul is going to do in his solo work. If you think of that song, it's almost three songs. It's like out of college money. Like you never give me money. Then it's yep. out of college money spent, pay no right. future, pay no rent. And then it's one sweet dream, you know, which is a different, it doesn't really match up to the, the previous um, lyrics, and then they get into the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Out of college, money spent, see no future, pay no rent. Oh, that magic feeling, nowhere to go, nowhere to go. One sweet dream, pick up the bags, get in the day. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all good to children yeah. go to heaven which yeah. is amazing like every piece is amazing and it's all kind of woven together 
And what maybe frustrates some people about Paul or love about Paul is that he does these song collages. And I think that this song in a collage is a collage. And, yeah, it's a, it's a medley. It's a medley within the medley. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. And and if you love Paul, you have to realize that you know if you love Band on the Run or if you like Live and Let Die, you know there there are abrupt changes within those songs that take you in another place, but they'll all bring you back to the end. And this this song to me is it's very very dramatic and sweeping, and I and I and I think his voice is amazing. Just completely amazing through the whole song yeah it's one of my favorites it's one of my all-time favorite Beatles songs actually the next song what we have is Sun King thoughts about Sun King? Yeah, well, actually, it was originally called Here Comes the Sun King, but then John realized that George wrote Here Comes the Sun, <laughs> so he, <laughs> he had a nix here, Here Comes the, and just called it Sun King. The vocals um, are produced and sung in an extremely similar fashion, the, the way that they did because. It's really pretty much the same vocal style and, and arranging on the voices. It's a it's a great beautiful song, and then that's when they get into doing all this quando panza mucho chachalita congolita bunga kong. Mm-hmm. They're just they're just singing. You see, this is this is what's interesting. They're singing nonsense. They're singing things that don't make any sense, and it's so beautiful yeah, sounding. It's very beautiful. It's just it's beautiful, and they're saying nothing. It's gibberish. Mm. Again, another example of John's ability to do gibberish, make it sounding poetic in a bunch of foreign languages that don't, that, that don't even belong with one another at the end of the song. And we're like, ah, oh, wow. Mm. Cuando palamucho caramilla, parasol, whoa, mm. chicafetti, all this weird stuff. We don't know what the hell they were talking about when this, when this song came out, but it didn't matter because it it sounded so damn good Yeah, another Beach Boys song. Like, okay, we're done now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Beach Boys. Yeah, yeah. You see, there is a dramatic line in, in the uh, Beach Boys' like creativity after the 1970s. So uh, I, he, they must have said, okay, we're done now. We can't go any further. Thank you all very much for joining me and Tom Gowker today discussing parts of the Abbey Road album. Another Abbey Road discussion will broadcast at a later date. Until next time, no matter where you are and no matter what you're doing, be fab and let us all come together.